like to begin our study this morning by saying good morning to everyone and expressing how excited I am to be able to share and continue in our series Crosswords. We're looking at what Jesus said on the last day of his life. Most of you are aware that as we're going through this study, we're looking at the seven final statements Jesus made while he was dying on the cross. And we know that before Jesus was placed on the cross that he experienced the treachery of Judas, that he had been abandoned and that he had been taken before many kangaroo courts and had been brought before many people of power and, and, uh, and of Pontius Pilate. We know that he was beaten savagely, that before he was on the cross that he endured all of these things. And when they finally put him on the cross, he hung on the cross for about six hours. And in the first three hours of that duration that he was on the cross, Jesus made three statements. The first statement he made was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here Jesus is referring to all of those people who had an active participation in his death and in his crucifixion, Jew and Roman alike. And there the Son of God expressing, even under the most extreme circumstance of human suffering and of human evil, a willingness to forgive mankind. And then Jesus made a second statement on the cross in reference to his mother. He said, woman, behold your son. And then referring to the disciple John, son, behold your mother. And then Jesus made a third statement in relation to the thief on the cross. When the thief had realized his condition and his vulnerability before God, asked Jesus, Lord, when you went into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, again, his willingness to forgive, even under the most extreme circumstance. And then, about noon, about 12 p.m., the scripture says that there was this dark darkness, this mysterious darkness that overtook the land. And there was a silence. And out of that darkness, and out of that silence, Jesus let out a loud cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Really more of a question than it is a statement. Jesus at that point feeling the isolation and the separation from God as that he literally became sin. And God because of his deity and God because of his eternal supremacy and God because of who he is and his self, uh, of who he is as a spirit and his righteous state cannot be in the presence of sin. And so God turned a shoulder to him as he died on that cross. And Jesus feeling that separation cried out that cry, God, why have you forsaken me? And then finally, in the last three hours of the duration of that crucifixion as he was on the cross, Jesus made three more statements. And he made a fifth statement, which we'll look at this morning. And that is the statement of, I thirst. And I hope that as we look at this study that we develop not only an appreciation and an understanding of what Jesus requested on the cross in the form of water as his body was mutilated and as it was dehydrated, but that we develop an understanding and an appreciation for the spiritual and the prophetical implications that was brought about by this purposeful statement 
of I Thirst. Frederick Farrar uh, was an author who wrote a book called The Life of Christ. And in that book, he has an expert where he tries to explain to the reader what it would have been like uh, to have been in Jesus' condition and state and what his body would have suffered through the trauma of a Roman crucifixion. And he makes this statement, and I want to read it to you. He says, The unnatural position made by every movement, painful, the lacerated veins, the crushed tendons throbbed with anguish, the arteries, especially of the head and stomach, became swollen and oppressed with surcharged blood. And while each variety of misery went on gradually increasing, there was added to them the intolerable pang of a burning and raging thirst. Did you know that it's quite possible that Jesus went approximately 18 hours without anything to drink before he made this statement? I mean, the last record that we have of Jesus taking something to drink was at the Last Supper. But we know that after the Last Supper that he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the state that he was in, he was in such a great distress, he was under such great duress that Luke tells us that he began to sweat profusely and his sweat was, as it were, drops of blood. That he was in such a stressed out state that he was literally and physically perspiring blood. It's a rare medical condition called hemohydrosis. It's where the, the endocrine cycle in your body produces such a heightened fight or flight response that your blood pressure elevates so skyrocketed, so sky high that the capillaries in your blood vessels begin to burst and you begin to perspire blood. So even in the Garden of Gethsemane, the condition that he's in is already dehydrated because he's literally sweating blood. And then from that point on, we know he's taken into custody and he's taken before what I'll call six mini trials. He went before three Roman, uh, before three Roman appearances and three Jewish leader appearances. And while he's in custody, he's before these trials, he's then ordered by Pontius Pilate to be beaten savagely beyond recognition. And as he lay on the post, as he's bound to the post, and as his flesh is being ripped off of his back, and as he's losing bodily fluids, extremely and rapidly quickly we know that he's then ordered to go to the skull Golgotha and to carry his cross there and did you know that from the place where he was sentenced until Golgotha was about a two and a two and a half hour hike and it was uphill downhill uphill downhill so even in this condition not only is he losing blood and losing sweat in the garden not only is he being detained and he's not probably being given anything to drink not only has he been beaten beyond recognition, but now he's having to endure a hike carrying the cross that far. And so we could only imagine the critical condition, the state that physically that his body was in and the hydration level that his body would have uh, been at. And this is really a fulfillment of another prophecy that we find in Psalm chapter 22 and verse 15, when it says, My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaw, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. You know, Jesus making the statement, I thirst, is a profound statement in a lot of ways. But one of the ways that I find it profound is that when Jesus cries out, I thirst from the cross, what he expresses to us is his humanity. I think of all the seven statements that he made on the cross, I thirst is the one that you and I can relate to the most. 
Jesus making the statement, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's hard for me to relate to. Jesus making the statement, today you will be with me in paradise. That's hard for me to relate to. But I thirst. I can somewhat have some quantification of that in my mind. Even though my body's never been in the physical condition that Jesus was at this time, we have somewhat of an idea of what it means to be thirsty. And what we'll see is the irony of this as we go through our study this morning is that the one who cried out, I thirst, is the one who promised us living water. And so I want us to look at the gospel account where he records or where John records, I thirst. It's found in John chapter 19, and I want us to back up a few verses in verse 25. It says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cloopus, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. What I want us to notice from this passage is that Jesus didn't cry out, I thirst, simply out of a disoriented state. Jesus didn't cry out in this passage, I thirst, because he was in some form of acute suffering. Jesus didn't cry out, I thirst, because even though he was literally dehydrated and thirsty, that he just said it because he was doped up on the cross or that he was somehow just lost his, his mental capacities. But the purpose of saying, I thirst, there was a reason why he said it. There was something that cued him to say, I thirst. Well, how do we know that? Well, we know that if you look in the, the preceding scripture right before I thirst, it says, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So something happened that Jesus now said, okay, now it's time for me to say, I thirst. Well, what were those all things to be accomplished? Well, that's referring to the detailed Old Testament Messianic prophecies. You see, as Jesus hung on the cross, and after prophecy, after prophecy, after prophecy was being fulfilled, and all of those things were now coming in complete alignment, Jesus realized there was one less prophecy to be fulfilled. Well, what was that prophecy? Well, it was in Psalm chapter 69 and verse 21. It says, They gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And so when we look back at all the prophecies, we read Isaiah, we read Psalms, we read Exodus, we see all the prophecies that are recorded in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus, about the suffering of Jesus, about the death of Jesus. All of those things had come to fruition except one. This one. And Jesus even being in the state and the condition that he's in, the trauma that he's experiencing, desiring to do the will of God that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst to produce and to orchestrate a Roman soldier to unknowingly fulfill the scriptures of God. That is pretty amazing. That even under that condition, he was so committed to doing the will of God that he would say that to manipulate this person to get up and to get a reed and to put a sponge on it and to extend it to Jesus' mouth. Well, what happened? Did that come to fruition? It sure did in verses 29 through 30. Backing up again to verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. 
Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine and they put it with hyssop and they put it to his mouth so that when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it's finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. And so we see that they did in fact offer him this drink. And so the main reason why Jesus cried out, I thirst, was to fulfill the last detailed Messianic prophecy that was recorded in Psalm chapter 69, verse 21. One of the words that I want us to note in this passage is the word hyssop. Well, what is hyssop? Hyssop is a, um, it was a reed, it was a plant that grew um, outside of Jerusalem or around Jerusalem. And the Jews oftentimes would use this plant um, as, a, as an apparatus to uh, absorb liquid and to administer drink. And so um, the Jews, when they thought of hyssop, not only would they think of a tool or device that was used to uh, sop up liquid and to administer drink, but they also had a connection with hyssop. You see, if you were a Jew and you thought about hyssop, you probably thought about the 10th plague that happened in Egypt. Remember that God's people were enslaved by the Egyptians and God sent Moses to go to Pharaoh to tell him to let these people go. And if he didn't do it, he was going to bring about a series of plagues on these people. Well, the 10th plague that God brought upon Egypt was the Passover. And God told those people, told the Jews, you take hyssop, you dip it in blood, and you go put it on the lintels of the door, and that when the angel of death passes over your home, your children will be safe. And God's people did that. And that was the Passover. That was the significance of hyssop. What's interesting is when Jesus was being crucified, he was being crucified on the Passover. And just blocks down the street where he was being crucified, there were Jewish priests who were using hyssop in the ceremonial practice of sacrificing lambs. And so the irony here is that simultaneously while Jesus is being crucified on the cross, that God would orchestrate through divine control that hyssop would be used to administer drink to the slain land of God. A prophetic fruition. Now I want you to imagine that Roman soldier taking a reed and sticking a sponge on it, just envision it in your mind, and extending it to the mouth of Jesus who is fastened to a cross. And as Jesus feels that sponge, that moisture on his lips, he utters the words, it's finished. What is Jesus doing in that moment as the sponge touches his lips? He's tasting death. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, the scripture says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, by the grace of God, might taste death. Jesus experienced darkness on the cross. Twelve noon, mysterious darkness, came across the land. Jesus experienced a separation from God on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced a burning thirst on the cross. I thirst. Darkness, separation from God, thirst. Darkness, separation from God, thirst. Darkness, separation from God, thirst. What is that? It sounds like hell to me. Jesus experienced hell on the cross so that you and I didn't have to experience hell on the cross. Jesus tasted darkness on the cross 
so that you could be given life. Jesus experienced a separation from God on the cross so that I could have a relationship with God. Jesus experienced a burning thirst on the cross so that you and I could partake in the living water and our souls could be perpetually satisfied. Jesus experienced wrath on the cross so that you could experience mercy. Jesus experienced hell on the cross so that you could experience heaven. Everybody, I don't care who you are, has a burning spiritual thirst. We look at that person over there and say, wow, that person is successful. You know, on my way to work every weekday, I drive by literal mansions. And I'm not talking about big houses. I'm talking about mansions. And I can drive by there and I can see these guys out there in their flip-flops and their gold chains washing their Maseratis in their huge mansions. And it's real easy sometimes for me to look out and say, okay, I know they're human. I know they've got problems, but I can tell you one problem they don't have. They're probably not going to worry what they're going to eat for lunch today. But you know what? That person, apart from Christ, has a spiritual thirst. Ladies, you may look at other women and say, wow, she's beautiful. Look at her earrings. Look at her elegance. Look at the way she, look at her beauty. Her life must be so easy. If she's apart from Christ, she has a deep spiritual thirst. It doesn't matter if she's the most beautiful woman in the world and her marriage is a perpetual, living, enduring misery. It doesn't matter if you have a Maserati or a big mansion somewhere on Whitechapel Boulevard if you get diagnosed with a terminal illness. There's only one thing that can quench that first. And that's Jesus. You know, in John chapter 7, Jesus went to the Feast of the Tabernacles. If you, if you don't know what the Feast of the Tabernacles is, it's a, uh, you can look in Leviticus chapter 23. It was, a, it was a feast to celebrate when God brought the children of Israel out of, uh, out of the wilderness. And, and God brought them there in Exodus chapter 17. And they began to moan and complain that they didn't have anything to drink. And Moses went to God and said, you've got to help me out here. These people are fixing to stone me if we don't get them something to drink. And God said, I'll take care of it. You take a rod and you go strike the rock. And out of that rock will come forth water that we can, we can make these people and give them a drink. And so the Feast of Tabernacles was a Jewish celebration. It was a Jewish holiday where they would assemble in, at the temple and they would for eight days celebrate this festival. And Jesus, just months before his crucifixion, shows up at this festival. And what they would do at the festival to honor God giving them water in the wilderness is they would go to the pool of Siloam and they would take a bucket and they would dip water and then they would go into the temple and they would pour rocks on the temple. And that was to commemorate, that was to be a visible, visible representation of their acknowledgement and their appreciation for what God did for their forefathers in the wilderness. And after they went to the Pool of Siloam and they took that water and they poured it on the rocks, in unison they would all sing Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3. It says, With joy you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. And then after they sang that song, there was a silence. And so months before Jesus' crucifixion, he shows up at this festival on the eighth day when it's the most packed and there's thousands of people in the temple. And they take the water and they pour it on the rocks and they all sing the song and it's quiet. 
And then all of a sudden, Jesus stands up in front of all those people and says, If any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. One of the last calls that Jesus made while he was on earth for people to come to him. The last invitation that we find in the Bible is in Revelation chapter 22 in verse 17. It says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let he who uh, hears say, Come. And let he who thirsts come. Who desires, let him take of the water of life freely. We have all been dehydrated spiritually. Whether we have suffered anger, whether we have suffered grief, whether we have suffered guilt, whether we have suffered addiction, whether we have suffered orphanage, whether we have suffered fear, all of those things that we can experience, only Jesus can satisfy. And there's no IRA in the world. There's no promotion that I can get at work. There's nothing that your local congressman can do to satisfy that. Only Jesus. You know, we sing that song, as the deer pants for the water. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. You alone are the real joy giver, and I long to worship you. To experience true joy. To experience true fulfillment. To experience true peace that can only be given through Jesus Christ. He who claimed to be the living water. King David, even in all of his glory and all of his riches and all of his prestige, had a longing. In Psalm chapter 51 and verses 7 through 11, purge me with hyssop. There's that word hyssop there. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that my bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David, a king of an entire nation, had problems and he needed to be spiritually quenched and only Jesus could provide that. Now, I have a family member uh, this week who, who lost a wife. He leaves behind, she leaves behind four children. Her youngest child is this tall and as they put her in hospice this week her youngest one really didn't want to come in there and be by her side because to see his mother in that state he was terrified there's no amount of money there's nothing else that you can do but a pure hope on Jesus Christ at that point the only one who can quench that the only one who can satisfy and provide peace in that situation When Jesus let out that belaboring groan, I thirst, that was not only a thirst for water to, to moisture his lips to be able to cry, I finished, but it was a thirst for an acceptance of him. It was a thirst that he would desire that we would want to accept him. And so I believe as we conclude that really Jesus cried out, I thirst for three reasons. Why did he say I thirst? Well, number one, because he was so focused and determined to fulfill every last messianic prophecy foretold, even while literally enduring hell on earth. 
Jesus cried out, I thirst from the cross because he was thirsting for mankind to be filled with the Spirit of God. And he cried out, I thirst from the cross because he thirsted so that we would not be spiritually thirsty. And in conclusion, I want to draw our attention to John chapter 4, referring to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well, and as he's sitting there, she approaches him, and he asks her to give him a drink. And she makes the statement, she said, you're a Jew and I'm a, a Samaritan. Don't you know that we're not supposed to really be talking? We're not really supposed to be cordial with one another. And Jesus ultimately makes this statement to her. He says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus' call for you is to be spiritually quenched, to accept him, to acknowledge him, and to be obedient unto him in your confession and repentance into baptism and submitting a life into service to him. He is the true, uh, the true person who can satisfy all of our desires and to quench our spiritual thirst. I appreciate your attention this morning. You've been a very good audience. I hope that everything I said has been clear. I hope that it's been in accordance with God's word. At this time, we're going to stand as we sing the song selected.